This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, November 26, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The Senate move to destroy the filibuster for most presidential nominees makes it far easier for the president to lock in his appointment to a controversial, powerful health care board called IPAB, the Independent Payments Advisory Board. Cato's Director of Health Policy Studies, Michael Cannon, comments. One of the most controversial parts of Obamacare is a new board that the law creates to run not just the Medicare program, but really reach beyond the Medicare program, run anything related to the Medicare program. And that basically encompasses the entire healthcare sector. So this board is called the Independent Payment Advisory Board. And it has, despite its supporters' denials that it can do this, it has the power not just to ration care within Medicare by setting prices, but really, it could also ration care by denying care for specific services. It could, because there are so few constraints on this Independent Payment Advisory Board or IPAB, IPAB could raise taxes. IPAB can appropriate funds to the Department of Health and Human Services to carry out its own um, dictates. And so what this board really has are legislative powers that uh, the Constitution reserves to Congress. And then Obamacare goes even farther by specifying the rules under which Congress can either make changes to these IPAB proposals or block them. And so these rules are pretty restrictive. It takes, for example, to just straight out block an IPAB proposal takes 60 votes in the Senate. And so this is This is an enormous amount of lawmaking power that Obamacare vests in the hands of presumably 15 members of the IPAB board. But in order to put those – in order for those 15 members to get there, they have to be appointed by the president and they have to be confirmed by the Senate. Now, that was more difficult before Senate Democrats exercised the nuclear option because – traditionally, it has taken only 41 votes in the Senate to block a presidential appointee. Now, for appointments like appointments to IPAB, it takes 51 votes to block a presidential nomination. So you you get a sense that there's a bit of a, a road to serfdom dynamic at play here. You had Senate Democrats were very frustrated with democratic processes whereby Republicans were blocking President Obama's nominees. So they made a change in the Senate rules that give the executive a freer hand to nominate people to all sorts of positions uh, from which they can legislate and make other uh, uh, decisions about our lives for us. And so now we've got a situation where you only need 51 votes instead of 60 to put someone on the Independent Payment Advisory Board. And then what these people do once they're on the board takes 60 votes to block in the Senate. Now, if the president doesn't nominate anyone or the Senate doesn't confirm anyone to IPAB, that doesn't mean that this board is defunct. In that event, all of the board's powers fall to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. So for the, for the duration of his term, there's really no incentive for President Obama to appoint anyone to IPAB because his Secretary of Health and Human Services, Kathleen Sebelius, is a very loyal supporter of his and he has a good relationship with her and a good deal of influence over her. And so... If next year the Medicare actuaries make the relevant determination that uh, trigger IPAB's lawmaking powers, then Secretary Sebelius 
assuming no one has been nominated will be, or confirmed to the board, will be able to uh, to make all sorts of changes to Medicare and beyond Medicare that will take effect in 2016, the last year of President Obama's term. But if the president wants to and Senate Democrats want to do so, they can effectively lock in one party rule of IPAB and therefore our healthcare sector for at least six years and maybe beyond. And the way they would do that is Senate Democrats currently hold 55 seats. If President Obama nominates 15 members to the Independent Payment Advisory Board, Senate Democrats confirm all of them, then you will have uh, between now and say the end of this Congress in, uh, in early 2015, then you will have 15 IPAB members who will be seating, uh, who will occupy those positions for six years until 2020 and perhaps beyond because they get to keep those posts until they're replaced. And the next, so that means that the next president in his or her first term will not be able to appoint anyone to IPAB. And, and as long as Democrats retain, say, if Democrats retain control of Congress, I'm sorry, of, uh, of the Senate, that they might be able to uh, block a Republican who tries to nominate someone to IPAB, a Republican president, assuming we have one in 2021, who tries to nominate someone to one of the vacancies that. Uh, um, uh, or to one of the open seats. So if they choose to do so, Democrats can now lock in one party control of, uh, of our healthcare sector and healthcare reform for at least six years and maybe beyond. And it's the nuclear option that really gives them that power. Tell me if this is a potential upside uh, of uh, what you're telling us here, which is Congress can't tie a knot it can't untie with respect to powers that it grants to boards. That is to say, they could undo this down the road, right? That is correct. Cong one Congress cannot bind future Congresses, but the people who wrote IPAB into – put o IPAB into Obamacare didn't seem to know that because the law actually specifies the pr process through which Congress can repeal Obamacare if it wants to do so and that is limited to an eight-month period in 2017. And according to the statute, and this is so unconstitutional that it's absurd, but this is what the law says. According to the statute, if Congress does not repeal Obama, uh, I'm sorry, does not repeal IPAB within that seven-month window or eight-month window in 2017, then it can never re repeal IPAB. It could re Congress could repeal Medicare, or Congress and the states could repeal the Bill of Rights, but they could not repeal IPAB. That's that's how ridiculous this is, and it gets even worse because if Congress, according to the statute. If Congress does not exercise that uh, limited ability to repeal IPAB within that narrow window, then Congress loses any ability to uh, alter or block any IPAB proposal ever again. So this is obviously not constitutional, but it remains to be seen how much of these unconstitutional powers IPAB and the Secretary of Health and Human Services uh, can get away with exercising. Where are the legal challenges to this right now? There will be, uh, I believe it's in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, an appellate court has agreed, uh, I think I have that right, I think it's appellate and in the Ninth Circuit has agreed to uh, hear a challenge to uh, IPAB that has been brought by our friends at the Goldwater Institute. So hopefully we will um, uh, we'll get a, a ruling that overturns this part of the law strategically, politically, uh, constitutionally, I mean, it's a slam dunk and, and the courts absolutely should overturn this. Uh, it, if they do so, it will 
maybe weaken the coalition of people who want to see Obamacare reopened in Congress and, and dramatic changes made to it because there are a lot of Democrats who want IPAB repealed. There certainly the healthcare industry wants IPAB repealed because the very the whole purpose of this board is to reduce Medicare spending and uh, Medicare spending is revenue to the healthcare industry, and they certainly don't want their revenue streams to be interrupted. I think that the dangerous part of IPAB is not that it wants to cut Medicare spending or ration care. The, the problem with IPAB is that not that it's a death panel, it's that it's a super legislature. It's an unconstitutional, an anti-constitutional, an authoritarian body that is wielding powers that the Constitution reserves to the Congress. Michael Cannon is Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.